once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Have you ever seen the winner of a marathon or any other foot race wearing a backpack carrying extra weight? Or a Kentucky Derby winner ridden by an NFL lineman? While winning in the Christian life is assured by Christ, it's a lot easier to run when Jesus carries our burdens. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us the second part of this message entitled Enduring the Race, which covers Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Thank you for joining us today. Father in heaven, we thank you now for the privilege that we have to open up your word and find out what you would say to us this day. We believe you'll speak differently uh, through the same word, but you'll speak to our hearts according to our needs. We're going to invite you to do that now. We're going to pray that our hearts would be so ready to receive what we find the truth to be from what you've given us in your holy scriptures. And so prepare us and thank you for this time. Bless, we pray, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. A week ago, we, we began the first of two weeks where we're talking about the subject matter of endurance. And we talked about how many things that we can remember that we wish we had never quit. The many things had we only endured, whether it be in music or sports or academics or family or moral convictions, whatever it may be. There's such a high cost in quitting and such great, great, great rewards in enduring. And so as we've been talking over the last weeks, number of weeks, through a series on faith walking, I thought it would be important for us to give attention for two weeks to the idea of endurance. And I'd like for us to think about this as our life quality, character quality, that we are going to think about through the entire year. I won't preach on it through the year, but I want to keep bringing it back to focus. Endurance, endurance, endurance. There's something about a life of endurance. We've talked about the definition of endurance. It's breaking through quitting points. Those times where we all say, I can go no further, I cannot do this, whether it be moral issue or other, we say, I just can't do it. We know we should, but we say we can't. And then endurance. And we're capable of doing what we thought we could never accomplish. As we talk about endurance, we've got plenty of scriptures that give us the stories, the examples, and even the teaching of how to endure. Amazing the analogous scriptures that are the scriptures that are analogous to the race and running a race. First uh, Corinthians 9, we looked at briefly last week, 27 and following. We dug deeply into a text in Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 15. This week, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Hebrews 12 will be in the first three verses. This last week, I began by suggesting that uh, of two life realities that I have become more and more convinced of the longer that I live. And we looked at the first one last week. We'll look at the second one this week. But just quickly as a reminder, last week, the only race worthy of our full devotion is that of being a mature and equipped follower of Christ. 
And the reality, there are many things that we are called to do, and anything we're called to do requires our full devotion. But there is nothing that supersedes the idea of us being what we call mature and equipped as a follower of Christ. Nothing more important. Let's look again quickly at our Philippians uh, text. And as we see here, the text we looked at last, last week, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, this is Paul speaking, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And we paused there and spent some time talking about how God lays hold of us before we lay hold of him. It's because he first loved us that we're able to love him. And we talked about that's the only way you're going to get your faith to go deep in deep, deep love is to understand how deeply loved that we are. If we think we initiated the love and he responded, that's one thing. But we understand, oh, no, 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 it's far better than that. He found us in the desperation and the depth of our sin and he redeemed us. He loved us so that we may then love him. Then, oh my goodness, the love grows ever so larger. So very important. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and we talked about that, you can't look back. Reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, and that word means mature, as many as are perfect, go back, as many as are perfect, have this attitude now. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. So important teaching. I used a quote by uh, Herodotus. Herodotus, uh, it's not actually a quote, it's a quote about something Herodotus had said. It's an unknown, don't know who did this quote. But it's a tremendous, tremendous thought to keep in mind. Let me put it up and show it to you. It says, Herodotus claimed that the bitterest sorrow a man can know is to aspire to do much and to achieve little. Not so. The bitterest sorrow is to aspire to do much and to do it, and then to discover it was not worth the doing. Well, what is worth our doing? This idea of becoming a mature and equipped follower of Christ. And before I jump into this week, let me again just review what is the mature and equipped follower of Christ? What's the person look like? If you weren't here last week, we walked through the definition or the description of it. It's not that this is found in Scripture, but taking all of Scripture and trying to think, well, what does it mean to be mature and equipped? This is your and my blueprint for life. We should all be saying, this is what I want to become. Parents, I would hope that the parents can say, as I am giving my life to raise my children that I'm not doing it without a blueprint. Well, let me see what I want to do today. Well, let's, let's build a little wall here. Let's, let's try to do a, a foundation over No, 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 no. You got a blueprint. And you say, this is what I'm trying to see in the lives of my children as they grow to maturity. There's a spiritual aspect of that maturity. What does that look like? What does it mean for my child to be truly equipped in life? This is what I think would be a great description. And we have this on our podcast last week, and this week it'll be there. 
Uh, you can uh, pick it up as well on the PDF there. But number one, it's living consistently under the control of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Word of God, and don't forget the motivation of the love of Christ. Number two, it's someone who has discovered, developed, and are using their spiritual gifts. Parents, have you helped your children discover their gifts as they're growing older now? You that have teenagers or early, early teens, it's, it's time. They need to be learning. How's God wired you? How are you gifted? And if you don't know your own, it's going to be hard to help you help them with their gifts, whether we have children or not, all of us. Let's discover our gifts and go to our, our uh, discovery of gifts uh, class that we have that's so important. Number three, has learned to effectively share their faith in a winsomely engaging way. So for us, for our kids, how about that? How are we doing in that arena? Do we know how? Do we know an effective way that's winsome and engaging? Express your faith. Come to our training. Number four gives evidence of being a faithful member of God's church, an effective manager of life relationships and resources, a willing minister to others, including the least of these, and an available messenger to non-kingdom people. And lastly, demonstrates a life characterized as gospel-driven, worship-focused, morally pure, evangelistically bold, discipleship-grounded, family-faithful, and socially responsible. And I said then, don't think as you hear this, oh, where is this incredible being I've never met. How does anybody get to such a description? No, 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 no. It means that you're making progress. There's evidence of these in life, not near maybe what it should be, but it's a growing quality of life. That's what you're looking for. Now, given that as our blueprint and say, this is what we would like to become. Now we raise the second life reality before us to think about. The only way to become a mature and equipped follower of Christ is to run with endurance. No way to get there without the quality of endurance. I have a hunch that Paul was a sports enthusiast. Maybe he was an athlete. I don't know. But I know this, that time and time again, he brings up this analogy of racing and he says, the Christian life is like a race. There are people that get in the race, but they're not really enduring to win. They don't train to win. They don't run to win. They're just in the race. There are others that don't even get in the race. And then there are those few that have an opportunity to win the race, and they're giving it everything they've got. Hey, any of you uh, watch the, the Heisman show last night? If you did, you realize that those three that got to the, to the Heisman ceremony, they didn't get there simply because they were talented. There may be far more talented people. But you know what? You saw a story of endurance, of incredible effort that was given to get where they got to. It's no different in our Christian faith, friends. How many of us say, when I die and I stand before my Creator and I see Him before me, how many of us would even think for a moment that we would say, I don't really care how I ran the race. I don't think it matters that much. I got into heaven. That's all I really wanted. 
much less those of us that will stand before the Creator in Judgment Day and hear Him say, I never knew you. How many of us are going to say, I don't care if you knew me? We're going to be in the pain and anguish of life to say, if I had only run the race, if I'd gotten in the race, and those of us in the race would say, if I'd only run with endurance. Well, I want to give us a first thought this year and an everlasting thought through the year. Endure, 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 because who knows when this is our last year. And even if it's not our last year, if we've got years and years to come, there's no greater life than living for the master. So it just makes sense, all right? If it is that important to endure, if that's the way you become the winner of the race, then tell me, how do I endure? And so we want to look at that, and we have a great storyline in Scripture to help us do that, Hebrews chapter 12. In our text, it's going to be saying the Christian life is much like a race. It requires incredible effort to win the race. It's worth our best devotion. The text reads like this, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I suggest from the text uh, we can arrive at the reality that uh, there are are two requirements necessary for running with endurance. And so makes it very simple. It's memorable. We can think about it through the years. We think about endurance, endurance, endurance. The first is that running with endurance requires inspiration. It's interesting when Paul talks to us about this idea of enduring, running this race, he brings up the importance of inspiration. And he mentions it in two ways, as two sources. Uh, Number one, we find our inspiration from former winners. And so in our text in verse 1, it read like this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, there's a lot of debate as to what are, uh, who are the people that are those witnesses that surround us. There are many who would have said that, oh, that's referring to people who have died and they're in the heavens and they're looking at us and watching what we do every day. Let's remember them. They're our inspiration. They can certainly be an inspiration, but this has nothing to do suggesting such. My personal opinion is, it may be wrong, my personal opinion is people in heaven are not looking at us. They got far better things to do. It's supposed to be a happy place. So they're probably not saying, oh, look what he did. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look, look, look. No. When he talks about these folks that are a cloud of witnesses, he's just come out of chapter 11. If you're not familiar with chapter 11, go home and read it. It's called the Hall of Famers of the Christian faith. And he lists all of these greats of old and how they endured and look what happened as a result. We're not talking about people that are looking at us. We're talking about those who have proved 
the effectiveness of their faith. They found their faith to be real and to give them everything they ever hoped for. And he's saying, you need people that you look at and say, watch their lives, see the story of, hear the story of, watch the story. Know people who have endured and who have won. People such as Noah who builds an ark and look at the salvation that he and his family enjoyed. Or Abraham who offers up Isaac. And here's a, a whole nation of the faithful that come out of it. Or you look at people like Moses who left Egypt and he leads the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And he says, look at all these people. There's a cloud of witnesses that keep screaming at us saying, it is worthwhile enduring. And if you want to endure, you need to be inspired because you're going to hit quitting points. And when you hit those quitting points, you can say, I can't keep going. I can't go and said, Noah kept going. I guess I could. Abraham kept going. I guess I could. You just keep thinking, who are those people? I think it's important for you and me to have people today among us that are those that are witnesses surrounding us. I thought of my own experience, and I thought of who are my witnesses. And I'll tell you, I've got three witnesses, more than that, but three that came to mind, witness of a man named Jim Baird. How many of you have been in this church long without hearing that name? Frank Barker. A man like John Haggai. And more, I can't tell you how many times, often through the week, I'll think, um, imagine, let me imagine Jim in that situation. Let me imagine, Frank, where I am right now. And I think, you know what? You know what? I don't know that I would be a pastor still to this day were it not for the quitting times that I thought of a man like Frank Barker who went 40 years as a pastor of Briarwood Church. And I'd think, you know, I don't know. It's been 20 years. I don't know. I don't know if I want. And I think, you know, he can do that. There's something about seeing the, the people that have run before you that inspire us to run well. I think that's the beauty in great discipleship. We have a lot of people that are getting discipleship to have a group and enjoy it, and it's almost like who wants to lead today, and it's not like we've got somebody in the group that is further ahead of where I am, and I'm looking to that person because that's part of the cloud of witnesses, and I need a sight of a witness. I need a sight of a witness on a regular basis in my life. That's what keeps me. That's what I would do with a man like Frank Barker. As he kind of discipled me, and I name a three or four others back before that time. And, and, and I'd say, Oh my goodness, I remember when he said, I remember how he did. And what got me going was I'd say, Oh, I see it in his life. As opposed to I had a great study and enjoyed the accountability and the fun of friends, as important as that may be. And how many of us here in this church right now enjoy being in a group of peers? but are forgetting about the people that need you as part of their cloud of witness. Where we need to say, I'm going to get with some young baby Christians, younger in the faith, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that witness for their sake so that they'll grow up in the faith and say, I remember how so-and-so did it. I want to be like them. It's just inspiration. 
But the great inspiration of all is not through the cloud of witnesses. So the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who it is, but the author of Hebrews doesn't stop with the cloud of witnesses. Notice number two. Number two, we find our inspiration from Jesus. So we carry on in the text. It reads like this. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, which means originator, and perfecter, the one who finishes the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Can you imagine that? The joy set before him to do what? To endure the cross. Didn't you love this morning as we put the, the idea of joy on the screens? I'm not sure if the other congregations used it. I think they did. But oh my goodness, joy? What is joy? What's it all about? Joy comes through Jesus. The the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. It tells you a lot about joy, doesn't it? Joy is not wrapped up in good circumstances. If so, how would he have joy enduring the cross, despising the shame? But now I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. There it is. Let him be your inspiration. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Very important. I picture so often Jesus. When I come to the Easter time, I picture Jesus on the cross. And you know that he was fully human. And he's enduring the pain of the cross and the soon separation from the Father. You think for a minute that he sat, he, he, he lay, lay there on the cross or hung on the cross thinking, this is okay with me. No problem. Let me tell you. What he went through? You know that there was something behind the scenes that you and I didn't see where the demons... Satan himself screaming, get down, get off the cross, stop now, it's not worth it. Hearing the same things that you and I hear when we know God is saying, keep going, and the angels screaming, endure, 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 endure. Same thing when you want to walk away from your marriage. Same thing when you want to walk away from time with God. Same thing when whatever it is comes up and you want to compromise and it's an easier pathway and it's more fun and it, it gives you a, a temporary thrill, young people. And we need to hear constantly the scream of the angels and the scream of our master saying, go, 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 endure, don't stop, keep going, it's worth it. And he says, so when you get to those quitting points, you consider the witnesses, consider Jesus himself. Watch what happens as you keep going. Just watch what happens. You know, I find it interesting, even in a, a workout, I'm in a little class that you work out, and it's a pretty high-end, you know, stretchy-type class, and, and you go for 40-some-odd seconds, whatever, 40 seconds, just as hard as you can go on a particular and then you get a five-second break, and you go to the next place, and you do it, and you, you go. And I, I can't tell you how many times I get to plan and say, you know what, nobody's going to stop. If I just kind of lay back here and don't do much, nobody. And I think, you know what, 
I came here for a reason. This is what I need. This is what I should do. And, and I'll sit there and say, you know what? I'm just going to think of Jesus for a minute. I'm amazed when I do just the difference of something so temporal. Same is true in all of life. Just remember those that do endure and what happened. And then consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. So that's number one. It's for the need we have of inspiration. But number two, and lastly, running with endurance requires perspiration. It's a pretty hard effort on our part, obviously. And so we read in, in the uh, first verse again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay aside every encumbrance. That word encumbrance actually has to do with the idea of weight. Lay aside the weight. Now, notice it's going to say next to it, and the sin. So, obviously, we're talking about things here that are holding us back, but not sinful in and of themselves. So, he first says, if you want to run with endurance, here's the formula. You find the things that are slowing you down and you dismiss them from your life. You have to do an inventory and watch and think, okay, what are those things? Now, my own experience is this, is that there are things that I have that are not wrong, as you do, that I have to be careful because it could become and it may be an encumbrance. Think of things like these, money, TV, uh, work, ambition, maybe your iPad, uh, maybe it's a, a hobby, I don't know. But there are all kinds of things that we can say, you know what, I'm not getting where I need to go because I'm giving so much time and attention, nothing wrong with these things, but look how much time I'm giving. I wonder how much time many spend on Facebook. Just, you know, it's addictive, isn't it? You get on, you see something else, you see something else, next thing you know, you're 30 minutes, next thing it's an hour, uh-oh, don't have time for being with the Lord, not today. Don't have time to, don't have time, whatever. I don't know what it may be. I've got those challenges in my own experience, I'll tell you that, and I'm having to evaluate and say, oh, God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do less of this? Do you want me to? Because those can be encumbrances that hold us back. I know personally I have observed that while sitting, I am unaware of extra weight. If I'm at the airport and I have big suitcases uh, for a, a long international trip or whatever, and I'm in between and I have these things, I have to recheck and I have to carry the bags or whatever. Oh my goodness, I notice how much weight I've got. But when I'm sitting down, the weight doesn't bother me a bit. Good way to tell if we're in the race or out of the race. Do the things that are maybe good in and of themselves seem to concern me a little bit because I'm feeling the weight? That says good. Good tension to be experiencing. It means you're in the race and you're thinking about it. When you don't even think about those things, I don't even think about how much time. Now we got to be careful because it requires some perspiration. No doubt about it. Philippians 3.8 kind of shows us the more determined we are to reach the goal, the more we evaluate. It says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And Paul is just simply saying, man, when I've got my eye on the goal, these things bother me. But if I get my eye off the goal, it won't be the case. Perspiration. Perspiration. First of all, with 
Encumbrances or weights, number two. And lastly, requires laying aside every sin. It seems pretty obvious. You know, there's an example I'll, I'll close uh, biblically with. It's in 1 Kings. You don't need to look it up, but uh, just the first four verses of chapter 11. Here's a great story of Solomon. You remember Solomon? I mean, here's Solomon, the son of a king, uh, the wisdom author, the man who makes the wise choices, wisdom. Look what happened at the end of his life. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Mentions what kind. Let's keep going. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away from their gods. After their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Young people, when you become the old man like Solomon, don't let that be your story. Don't let it be your story. You be one that stays faithful. Endure, endure, endure. Close with a story. Many of you have heard it. I've used it in the past, but story of Derek Redmond in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. He was running the 400 meter. He was in the semifinals. He was running for England. He's in the last 100 meters, just starting the last 100 meters, and he pulled a hamstring. What made it so tragic is that four years earlier in Seoul during the Olympics, he had torn an Achilles tendon and couldn't finish the race. This time he was determined he was going to finish the race. And so with, I mean, you know, if you've torn a hamstring, you, you can't run. But he was doing his best to jog it out to get to the end in the midst of all the pain. While he was trying to finish and the crowd roaring with approval, the next thing he knew, he felt a, a hand on his shoulder reaching around on him. And the first thing he did is he pushed it off until he heard the voice, and it was the voice of his father. His father had run out on the track, and he heard his father say these words, We began this together. Let's finish it together. Later on, Redmond was talking to the press. He said, I felt his hand, I shrugged it off. But then when I heard him say, the very first word, I knew it was my father. And I knew nobody I wanted to run it with me but my dad. And he gave me my inspiration, and we kept running. Came to the finish line. Certainly didn't get the prize, the temporal prize, but he finished the race. You know, the reality is life is tough. And we're going to have all kind of pain and struggle getting to the finish line. But we've got one who comes along beside us, and he says, I'm your father. We began this faith run together. Let's finish it together. Oh, you're limping, but that's okay. Let's run strong to the finish line. 
That's what we want this coming year, huh? Everybody here, I would think you came because you want your faith to be better. You got to have endurance. You got to get through sticking points, stopping points, all the hard times. You got to get through it. The only way you're going to do it, remember, you got to have inspiration. Who is your inspiration? Find inspiration and look at the cloud of witnesses to convince you it's worth it and keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith that you're running the race about. You look at him. Constantly think of your Jesus. See who he is. Think about his love. Understand his work. And then look at the encumbrances, the weights, the good things and the sin, the bad things, and say, okay, what do I need to shed? Let's get going. Great exercise for the end of the year as we prepare for January. My prayer is let's run well this next year. You don't do it, though, simply through the idea of just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out. I'll do it. you got to have more than, than just willpower. you gotta have, you got to have divine power. And so we're going to come to the table now. We're going to do this in the other venues as well as you watch this now. And we're going to prepare our hearts for the table. And as we do, I'm going to suggest that the table is a reminder to us that we have a, we have a father who is running with us, his arm around us. It's the reality that we're actually married to our Savior Jesus, his son. And as a result, we have a covenant of faithfulness that we have taken vows to in the past. The people who have become members of the church have taken vows. The vow to Christ and the vow to his family. And now his family offers a table for family members. And we come to the table and we partake. Why? Because it is a sign. What does a sign do? It signifies. What does it signify? It signifies several things. It signifies or signs as a remembrance. And so here's the first of three things. I'll put it up that the, that the table does for us. First of all, it serves as a remembrance. It serves as a remembrance. 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm not sure if we don't have this up, I won't use it. Do we have 1 Corinthians 11? Yeah. Listen to this as we prepare for the table. For I received from the Lord that for which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, as I always say, recall the cross. Relive the anguish and recommit your vows. Mind, emotion, will. That's how we prepare for the table. I encourage you, remember, remember what he did for us. And then there, it serves as a proclamation, a proclamation. We continue on, verse 26 says it this way, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a proclamation. Uh, we are proclaiming that we truly believe that we celebrate the benefits of his life and his death. And then lastly, it serves as a warning. It serves as a warning. 27, 
Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So he gives us a warning. Be very careful not to take this in the wrong way. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we'll come and we'll take the table together. Let's pray. As the table is prepared, let's prepare our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great privilege that we have to be called by your name. And as those who are and have become members of your church, we, we know you've called us and said, come, take the table, remember me. And Lord, for the sake of your glory and also for our own endurance, we come and we want to remember you right now through the work of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, to just see who you are and what you've done. May this very experience be the inspiration that we need. And we say thank you for the fact that you have indwelt us even as these elements will indwell us. And we have power because your spirit does dwell within us. May we be a people who endure all through this year because we live under the submission of your spirit that indwells us. And so, Lord, you be honored and bless us as we remember. Lord, as we recall the cross that day in history as we relive the anguish of what you went through, and then as we recommit our vows to you, would you be honored? May your grace do something special in our hearts right now because we've come to your table. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.